Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You're going to listen to the show every day from 11 a.m., 4 p.m. on the bachelornews.airtime.pro, bachelornews.airtime.pro. You can call in at 646-929-0130, I am the chairman of America's PAC. I'm the project director and senior fellow at America's Majority Foundation and just recently joined uh, the Frontier Freedom as a senior fellow. And I do have on the line, speaking of Frontier Freedom, the president of Frontier Freedom, our good friend of the show, George Landreth. And George, welcome. It's great to be here with you, Tom. I always enjoy it. It's a great conversation. Yeah. Here's what I want to You were nothing if not interesting. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I want, you know, well, man, I'm also the author of the book, America, the Abyss, Will America Survive? Which is, according to George, a great read. All right. I, now, absolutely. Here, yeah, yeah. Here's why I brought you because you spoke at Freedom Fest, which is a kind of mm-hmm. a, a, you know, kind of a different group of people. And I'm looking for some of these guests, and I wanted to kind of get your some impression if, you know, what you heard from them, if you had a chance to listen to them. Uh, uh, and plus, you know, some of the things that you know you picked up. And uh, you know, route, you know, which he kind of picked up. So, and I was, and I think it's kind of like I say, it's a totally different audience because obviously, you know, the, is it Mark Suskin? Is that how you pronounce his name? Um, uh, Skousen, I believe. Skousen, Mark Skousen. Yeah. Mark mm-hmm. Skousen. I mean, he's a hard. You know, he's been a long time libertarian ec- ec- economist, and right. he, you know, he's one of the people that kind of run, you know, puts this all together. But here's the thing: I thought I didn't know if you. You know, John Cleese, uh, yeah. you know, the comedian. Uh, and I know his big issue lately has been free speech. I mean, I wouldn't say he, right. he's a conservative on, on any issue, but on free speech, uh, he certainly has become one. Did you get a chance to listen to him? I didn't. I was um, I, I, I missed a lot of the speakers because we had a family reunion going on, but I was there for the last couple of days. And so I got a flavor of everything and got a sense of what had been happening and who was there. And you hit the nail on the head about it being an eclectic group. And what I mean by that is you had some very what I would call traditional conservatives there. You had, you know, Steve Forbes, Rand Paul. You had um, uh, Art Laffer, uh, even some media folks like uh, Lisa Kennedy, who's at Fox Business, um, you know, those kinds of folks. But then you also had some very kind of unusual people like Andrew Yang, yeah. who uh, was running at one point for the Democratic uh, nomination in, the, uh, in 2020. You also, like you mentioned, you had uh, John Cleese from uh, Monty Python there. And uh, so it's, um, it's an interesting, you know, it's, it's because uh, everyone that's there is for some, for some reason wants less government 
I, I suspect John Cleese wants it uh, less trying to tell him what he can joke about and say. But uh, I, I have no idea, to be honest with you, what uh, Andrew – Yang has become kind of disenchanted with the Democratic Party of late. I don't think that means he's yet a conservative. I just think maybe what he realizes is, is the Democratic Party is not a vehicle that's going to help society move forward. And uh, if he's woken up to that fact, that's a good thing because I think more and more Americans need to wake up to the fact that you have a party that's destructive to America's future, and then you have the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I say, it's a kind of an interesting group, and we're getting to yeah. some of those. Uh, and I know, I guess, who did you listen? I mean, who did you catch? Did you catch anybody of note? Um, well, Besides, I caught a few of the. Yeah. Um, I well, let's see. I'm trying to think now. On Saturday, I'm trying to remember everybody. I because uh, um, Friday, I just uh, I was in and about, uh, but uh, talked to them. Like John Fund was there. Talk talked to him a lot about his book on uh, you know voter integrity that he wrote with uh, uh, Hans von Spakovsky and things like that. But um, and they, they had a film festival as well because it's not just a, a conference that's uh, focused on. Um, Politics. It's kind of you know culture, uh, all kinds of things. That you know, like they they have, they have a essentially a, a film festival that's focused on freedom as well. So it's kind of an interesting group because it's not, you know, some conferences you go to it's just strictly politics, public policy, debating what's in the, you know, before Congress and that kind of thing. And this was a very different sort of thing. But um, on. Um, on Saturday, it was winding down, of course, and uh, but I, like I said, I ran into a lot of old friends, made some new friends, had a chance to speak myself and meet a bunch of folks that were there for that session. Um, you know, like I said, Rand Paul was there. And then there were also some people that were there to kind of help conservatives or libertarians learn how to do things better. An example, I didn't get a chance to attend it, but kind of how to... Uh, uh, like how-to kinds of seminars, how to fundraise better, how to um, you know protect your um, your donors, your clients from wokeism, that kind of stuff. It was a, a very interesting kind of thing. Everything from gun rights, you know, homeschooling, uh, you name it, they discussed it. You'd be hard pressed to find something that wasn't discussed. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let me say because here's the thing, I. I because what I'm thinking is very fascinating is, and I wanted to kind of some of these things like, okay, Andrew Young, I know he talked about the, uh, you know, rank, you know, doing ranking as far as voting, which I think is a very, you know, I'm not. Yeah, the I'm rank, not, the rank file voting, since you get a vote rank, for your which preferences. Which I think is a dumb idea, but uh, I don't, and I don't think he's going to get what he wants because basically they have that, you know, Alaska, you have that in Australia, and it's like. You know, it takes a long time to figure out who the hell won. It's not exactly, you know, the person is everybody most may, you know, the one who gets the plurality didn't necessarily win. Right. But, uh, you know, it does but, seem uh, like it opens up the electoral process to some gamesmanship that we don't really need to get into. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just I don't see I don't see a lot of uh, and, and but, the you know, to Mark Skousen's credit, when he organizes this, he does not say, I, if I agree with you, you can speak. He yeah. views this as a very wide open forum 
You know, in other words, he believes the things he says he believes, which is in freedom. So he's perfectly happy to have an Andrew Yang come and speak, even though he may not agree with anything he has to say, because his view is ideas are worth discussing. And, uh, you know, freedom dictates that if we discuss ideas, we'll end up with the best outcomes as opposed to if we do what the left likes to do, which is they, th- they think some ideas are dangerous and shouldn't be discussed. Yeah. Well, I just say it's kind of interesting thing. And again, like I said, I know John Cleese is another interesting fellow because his big thing is on, you know, like, as you stated, you know, what kind of jokes can I actually tell without you guys uh, trying to cancel me? Uh, he's been right. very much a critic of the uh, cancel culture. And I do think that, you know, this is kind of an, you know, an interesting thing. And Glenn Grinwall is another very interesting fellow. I don't know yeah. if you had a chance to catch him with him at all. I didn't, but uh, but I but I agree with you. Very interesting that uh, yeah. you know just because, like I said, it's an eclectic uh, collection. It's uh, some groups, you know. To be blunt, if you come to the Frontiers of Freedom Ronald Reagan dinner, you're going to find a group of people who thought Ronald Reagan was a great president, and, and they will be absolutely gonna... correct. Oh, absolutely. But <laughs> what you won't find. But my guess yeah. is John Cleese isn't going to bother to come, and neither is Andrew Yang. Um, so this is a little more eclectic in its approach. But uh, but I thought it was worth attending, and I enjoyed it, and I've uh, I've been going for several years. And I think it's worthwhile, and I like to present there because um, the great weight of the people who attend are people who can care about less government and more freedom. And uh, – you know, I think Andrew Yang may think he cares about that, but if you look at the policies he proposes, I don't think he's going to give you that. I think he's mistaken on some of the, like, you know, universal income and uh, stuff like that is just socialism. But for some reason, he thinks that's a freedom-oriented well, no, issue. A, you know, I remember years and years ago, it used to be called the great, you know, was the, the negative income tax. You know, that was actually started, you know, Milton Freeman played with that idea. You know, Monaghan, you know, the senator from New York, played with this. And I know the Nixon administration actually seriously looked at it. You know, I've mm-hmm. always thought about that. See, the problem to me with that is not so much the idea of you know, your guaranteed money is that the idea would be if you wanted, you know, would it be better, let's say, for example, somebody in poverty, here's, you know, here's X number of dollars. This, one's, you know, this will give you the base to live off, and you have to, you know, we'll let you do as you need as opposed to have 20 different government agencies that somebody has to go through. And it, but the problem you always go ran into with that is that, you know, somebody's not going to be satisfied with just having an in, a basic income or universal income, or however you want to phrase it, they'll want to add other goodie, goodies on top of that. But I always thought if you could figure out a way to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. You get X number of dollars, and it's up to you to figure out the rest. You know, we're not going to give you that much more after that. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's I, – I agree there are some – like Milton Freeman is a pretty smart fellow and obviously yeah. was a, a great thinker. So I'm not going to be casting stones in his direction. Um, and I, he thought the idea had some merit. And I think the, the problem politically is the one you've described, and that is you could create some sort of uh, – um, you know, basic minimum, but uh, there'd always be the temptation and this demand to be constantly upping it, constantly adding more goodies, and uh, you know all this. And that, and I think 
government probably has to get out of the business of handing out goodies. Um, and I think the average American who is uh, able-bodied and able-minded ought to be responsible for their own, you know, maintenance and, and support. But uh, obviously I don't believe that, uh, that, there, that every single person fits in that category. There are people who have significant uh, mental or physical disabilities, and I'm not prepared to just kick them to the street and have them starve somewhere or freeze yeah. to death. And, um, and while I do think that we ought to look to, to charity to do that, because I think charity might do a better job of it. It wouldn't create entitlement, but would, in fact, help people. And, and, and you know, I, I, I understand the, the tensions that are there. And I think as a, as a conservative, I'm not at all against helping people. It's just that oftentimes when government helps people, it turns out not to. You could look at the inner city families that were supposedly going to be helped by the great society, and all it did was destroy them. And you see what's happened over time. Um, it's you know been very destructive and unhelpful, even though it was marketed early on as a way to help. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. It's kind of, like I say, there, you know, and I do want to get into some of these speakers and some of their ideas and, you know, you know where all this comes into, because I do think, uh, you know, for example, you got Bessie DeVoice. I think she just recently just said, let's get rid of the Department of Education. Right. Uh, and uh, I, I'm fascinated with Glenn Grenwell, not so much, because he's, again, he's one of these, you know, free speech, you know, and, and he's been one of the leaders against what I call the, the secretive state. Where, you know, yeah. You know, and, and I, well, you know, yeah, because he was involved in some of the, you know, Snowden stuff and things like that. Yeah. And I think his, I think, a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle understand the value of transparency. And when government doesn't like to be transparent, because that makes it accountable, and, and government would prefer to be unaccountable, generally speaking. You know, that's the. the yeah. That's why you get all this secret crap going on, and and they won't answer questions about what they're doing. Yeah, hold on, and he's, yeah. Yeah, he's hold opposed on. to that, and I think he's dead right about that. Yeah, stand right there because we want to kind of follow up with that, and I do eventually want to get into your presentation and what you talked about, but we'll do that a little bit later. So this is Tom Donson, Donson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can buy my book, America at the Abyss, Will America Survive? at the following locations, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, also, you know, LibertyHillPublishingPress.com, which is associated with Salem Media. And, and don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, I am not both Americans majority. I'm a senior fellow Americans majority founder, just joined Frontiers of Freedom, and if you want to support Frontier Freedom, it's very simple, ff.org, ff.org. And, George, why don't you tell people which button they need to push to give you to get both of us money? <laughs> well, 
Well, uh, on the upper right-hand corner, there's a little donate button, and it's uh, in red, so you can see it, and uh, that's where you go, ff.org, and then you hit the donate button. All right, sounds good. All right, all right. Let's go. Uh, let's start with Glenn Grinwell because, you know, this to me, you know, and I'm going to say because Junior Assange, even though he's based on Boris Junior Assange, you know, he was involved with the Snowden along with a couple other people, and and certainly, but there, but here's the thing, and and I can remember about a couple of years ago, you know, when I was, you know, you know, I got in a conversation, with, you know, with my liberal at that time liberal co-host Coco Konsky. But was, you know, is that we both came to agreement, you know, should he be threatened with jail for doing what the New York Times has done for years and releasing classified information that's been leaked to them, which is essentially what he was doing. Right. And it's, it's one thing to be the actual hacker that goes in and, and breaches government uh, files and yeah. takes them. But uh, in the media, and the, and the media today is a much broader, it used to be you owned a printing press to be the media, right? Um, well, that's not true anymore. Today, you just have to have a computer and an internet connection. Yeah. So I, I agree with you that we have to kind of look at this a little more broadly. Um, even if we don't like what some of the information that was released, it doesn't mean the media is responsible I would hope, of course, they recognize, you know, if there had been a, a long list of, uh, you know, undercover operatives that were, you know, spies in uh, the war against terror, I'd like them not to release those names and identities so as to endanger their lives. Um, and I'd hope they'd exercise that judgment. But the reality is the, the government has to protect its data and uh, and while I don't want that level of transparency on something like that, I'd like a lot more transparency on almost everything else. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, man, and let's go back to Edward Snowden. He's another guy, again, if somebody came to me and said to me 10, 5 years ago, I said, throw the SOB in jail. And he certainly ended up in Russia, so it's not like – but he was absolutely correct that the national security, the NSA, was spying on American citizens. Right, and that was something they they weren't authorized to do, and they told us they weren't doing, and it turns out, of course, they were. Yeah. And I think that's healthy that we know that. Americans ought to know that their own government is violating the law. Well, I think that because here's the thing you come into play with is that, you know, you you look at, let's say, some of these agencies that, let's say, in the past I would, you know, have some faith in, which I like the FBI, but we now know – Based on the vice, of course, you know, they spied on the presidential campaign. They used, un, you know, you know, illegal, you know, basically non-existent evidence to get it. You yeah, know, well, they actually, and, and, they, and, and they actually perjured themselves to judges. They signed forms and made claims they knew to be false when they went to these judges. In other words, they just said, what does the judge need to hear from me to give me the warrant? Okay, I'll say that, even though I know it's not true. That's a crime. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and the thing is, none of those guys have gone to jail. Nobody's gone to jail. I mean, the closest we had one guy who basically, I think he got probation, and he got his law license back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, and he's a perjurer. And it's, it's it, just, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if that had been me, I'd have lost my law license, and I bet you I'd never get it back, and I'd have gone to jail. But if you're, you know, if you're on the right side, meaning, uh, you know, you, 
you know, I don't mean the, the right or left side politically. I just mean as long as you're on the politically correct side, they'll look the other way when you break the law. And that violates the rule of law, and that's really problematic. It shouldn't just be yeah. that when George and Tom break the law, they get in trouble. It should be that if Nancy Pelosi or the FBI or someone who works at the DOJ breaks the law, they also get in trouble, even more so for them because they have more power. And we ought to expect more from the people who actually exercise power over our lives. Yeah. Well, I, you say, I mean, this is, again, I mean, I'm going to go back to, I mean, it's a point that you brought up. But I think it's like I say, it's one of those things where it's vitally important. I mean, the thing that comes into play is that if Americans have learned it, I have to be honest with you, I'm almost becoming more of a libertarian on some of these, you know, free speech issues that I've, you know, been in the past. But I'm yeah, looking at I have this, two over the years. Yeah, and, and and I think you know guys like Len Grinwald. But I also think here's the other aspect comes in. You know, isn't it time for some of us conservatives to start looking at what the Grinwald say and say, okay, we have the surveillance state that exists. Is it time for us to start pushing back? Much in the same way we are, we need to be pushing back against the administrative state. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think it's exactly right. I think that's one of the reasons why there was such a uh, severe response to the revelations about the surveillance state, because they didn't really apologize. They didn't go, oops, we're sorry. We shouldn't be doing that. Instead, yeah. they're like, oh, you shouldn't know that. You shouldn't know that we're breaking the law. That shows you that they intend to break the law perpetually, and they never intend to abide by the law. So I think as Americans, we need to make sure that we're electing people, someone, for example, like Rand Paul, who will stand up and say, wait a minute, we have a constitution. Someone like a Mike Lee or a Ted Cruz, they'll say, wait a minute, we have a constitution. You can only go so far, and you've gone beyond that. We're not going to permit this. And I think that's really fundamental to freedom. And the thing is, you know, Admiral Clapper and – John Brennan lied to Congress on this, too. I mean, they went to Congress. They, oh, yeah. They, and again, they never paid a legal price at all for misinforming Congress on purpose. Yeah, and, and, and what you have to understand here is they lied under oath. So that's perjury, which is a felony. And somehow it's okay for them to commit felonies, but um, – you know, other people can commit misdemeanors and they'll spend a year in jail. And it's just like that's not just and that's not, you know, the rule of law. And I think we need to re-commit uh, ourselves to the rule of law. Mm -hmm. Well, I said, and I think, like I say, it's one of those things where, in the past, I would have said, you know, you know, you know, packs on that. But I just think, you know, and again, it's time for some of these individuals, like a Grin Grinwall. And the other aspect with Greenwald, too, is that he's part of a whole new separate media. You know, he has his own Substack page, and he basically probably makes more money than he did when he was a regular reporter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. let's say, I mean, this was a guy, again, he's one of those, what I call the last of the honest liberal reporters. Because he essentially got fired from his own journal that he himself started when he <laughs> yeah. wanted to do when he wanted to do a story on Joe Biden. So, you know, we need to be covering the Joe Biden story, dealing with Hunter Biden and some of these other things, you know, what he did when he was vice president and how the Biden family profited from him. And they basically said, not only, you know, not only are you not going to do this, you know, we want you to leave. 
<laughs> you're fired. Yeah. You're fired. Uh, so, pretty crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And I just think it's kind of a fascinating aspect, uh, you know, coming into this play. You know, when mm-hmm. I look at this. Now, Betsy DeVoice was on the show. It was on the uh, as well. And and I think this was interesting because obviously I agree with his position. But she basically said, in effect, the time has come to eliminate the Department of Education. Your thoughts? Well, I think it's first important to understand that the statement, it is time to eliminate the Department of Education on the federal level, is not the same thing as saying it's time to eliminate education. It's a very different statement. If you look at the Department of Education was created when Jimmy Carter was president. And our education, and it was designed at the time, or we were told so, that it was going to focus on improving education throughout the country. In fact, the inverse has happened. And when I served on a public school board, what I found was that the federal government provided all kinds of hoops and administrative rules and things you had to jump through, but they did very little to actually improve classroom education. And they actually didn't provide that much funding either. It was mostly just a lot of demands. And they seemed unrelated to education. And now we find out that, like, during the, uh, during the uh, Obama years, at the end of his presidency, he used the Department of Education to mandate that schools permit uh, transgender boys to bathe and shower with the teenage girls. And, uh, and that was going to fix education, I suppose. It just, and most Americans would go, whoa, what? And, and so... I think we need to have education be far more accountable, and the federal government's never particularly accountable. And, um, you know, if you don't like what's happening at your school, you probably know who the principal is. You certainly know who your school's teacher is, your, te- your student's teacher is. So, you know, you, there's accountability there. You can go in and, and explain, wait a minute, this is a problem. This has got to, we got to work this out. And then you can get solutions. When, how do you get a solution if the problem's in Washington? That means you've got to basically wait till the next election cycle. You've got to work at it, and you know, it's. But that could be two years from now, and your kid's gonna, you know, get lost in two years of lost opportunity in education. So, I really feel like the federal government's not well equipped to run our public schools, and so it ought to back out. And we could, um, they could lower taxes by, by whatever the amount was that was going to them, or put it towards the deficit. And the truth is. If they lower that taxes, states could then use that money uh, to pay for schools, you know, and it'll be less waste. Because let's be honest, the federal government doesn't collect it and then just turn it over to states. They collect X number of dollars, skim 10, 20, 30, 50 percent off the top for their own administrative costs, and then send on the rest. So imagine a middleman that, that takes half the money. It's just it's not sustainable. So I think there's lots of good reasons to get the federal government out of the education business. Yeah. Well, I guess I mean, I thought it because I say it's I mean, it's yeah, I look at that as a future platform for the GOP and the conservative movement. But I also think that this is one of those things where you can pretty much build a coalition. Like, who do you want to control the source? We're seeing very clearly what's happening to education and where it's coming from. And certainly with this administration, you know, which way they're going to go. Well, one uh, thing's for sure. In Virginia, the the election of the governor in a state where you wouldn't have expected 
a new Republican that is was never run for office before to be able to defeat a previous relatively popular governor who had been elected before, and yet he did, and it was on that issue. Uh, it seems clear to me that there are a lot of Americans who are not conservatives who are upset with the idea that government is going to teach their children whatever they darn well please, and the parents need to sit down, shut up, and take it. And and so I feel like there's a growing uh, awareness of uh, just things are out of hand, and you got to step in and intervene and say enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you say. I mean, again, it's an interesting aspect, and it's. I was kind of glad to see her actually say that. You know, please don't ever appoint me to that job again, or I'll, I'll eliminate it. Or maybe we want to say, well, okay, Bessie, next time you become the Department of Education, do what you promise and be the last secretary of the Department of Education. <laughs> well, and that would that would prove that she was sincere in her belief because she'd work herself out of a job. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So. So I, I thought, you know, the, I mean, can I, again, so who was on the Saturday program that you, you thought you saw? Um, well, are you, are you talking about the one that I spoke at or, or others? Uh, the other, the one you said, you, the general session Saturday, you said, I thought you said you attended that. Yeah, I said t- there's a number of sessions on Saturday and um, I'm trying to think now the first one was um, trying to think if it was Rand Paul or, uh, I'm just trying to remember the uh, what was going on and stuff. But I it, so in the morning we started off. There was a film festival thing going on, and then there was uh, some interesting panel discussions. Things like uh, court packing. I think Mike Lee talked about that and how weaponizing the Supreme Court was dangerous to liberty. Um, uh, and then following that. I had to step out, so I saw the very, very beginning of it, but I had to uh, step out because I had to deal with some uh, issues for our upcoming panel. It was going to be a little later in the day. Um, was Andrew Yang, um, yeah. and I forget the name of his panel, but he, but he was up. And then um, there was some uh, some very interesting. Um, there was some on uh, the idea of criminal justice reform and what it means. How do you make a, a safer society and at the same time reform the system? And, uh, you know, you have the, uh, the the kind of reform they're doing in, in San Francisco and L.A. and New York and all of these major big cities with these George Soros appointed. You know, that's not really reform. All it is is they're disregarding the law and destroying the rule of law and making cities dangerous. And uh, but but I think. The problem with them is they give reform a bad name, but it's not reform. Yeah. And uh, I think that you, know, that you could have real criminal justice reform to make the system fairer and more just, but that's going to be promoting the rule of law to make sure the law applies to everybody and uh, not just to some people, not just to the politically unpopular. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, that, so that was some of them. Um, another one that um, – I attended was uh, basically the election. Uh, um, I think it was called Election Chaos, and that had um, John Fund on it. Uh, yeah, hold on. He's a friend yeah, of mine. Stop you, yeah, I'm going to stop you right there because I want you yeah. to follow up with that because uh, this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. 
Uh, you can listen to the show every day at 4 a.m., I mean at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the bastionnews.airtime.pro. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Napa Know How to Los ladies and gentlemen, listen to this show every day, 11 a.m., 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the BastionNews.airtime.pro. And uh, you can buy my book, America at the Abyss, Will America Survive? Uh, at BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, and Liberty Hill Publishing Press, which is associated with Salem Media. And now back to our show. Okay, in talking about election security. And, and John, and you mentioned that John Fund was a party, was a part of the panel. Who else was there as well? And what was? Um, well, John Fund. I think Wayne Root was one of the other panelists. Um, and I want to say uh, Isaac Saul was the third one. Um, and um, John's the one I know best of those three by a long shot. Um, he's actually a friend, and and um, he's a smart guy. And he's written a number of books, even before 2020, on voter fraud and, and the damage yeah. that it does and the fact that it's real. Now, he's written one since then, too. And the point of his book wasn't to prove that there were you know, 12 million votes stolen and therefore Joe Biden didn't win, because I think his position is you don't actually have to believe that to, um, to be worried about voter fraud. And and he's not saying it didn't happen. His point was to go through and, and document enough voter fraud systematically to point out that we have to reinforce our system and make sure that this is not going to be um, an ongoing problem. And it's, it's bad for democracy when the public can't have confidence in the elections. And even the standard has to be higher than uh, can you prove that someone stole an election? It has to be, is there substantial doubt? It's kind of like in a, in a court case. Judges and prosecutors can't be going out to dinner together and socializing together and then turning around and promising, oh, by the way, we didn't talk about any of the cases before us. Um, yeah. we, just, uh, we, just, we were totally just talking about the basketball game we were at. We were totally talking about our grandkids. That's not acceptable. And why is that? Because the law, not just a, some ethics standard, the law says that they have to maintain not just actual propriety, but the appearance of it too. And, so, and why is that? Because we want people to trust our judicial system. We don't want people to see a judge and a lawyer and a big case out together in a social event and then wonder if they're not cutting corners somewhere. And, and I think you have to have the – if that's what we do for our law, we should do the same thing for our votes. We ought to understand the value of it being above board and beyond the ability of, mm-hmm. of, of anybody to, to question it. And, and yet there seems one side that wants to make it so that it's uh, essentially completely and totally untrustworthy. 
Yeah. And I think that's a very dangerous position to be in. Because what you have to understand is we had a system before we had elections that we solved public policy problems. We used brute force. The group of people that had the most guns or the biggest uh, biceps or whatever were the ones who got their way. And then at some point, society figured out, hey, why don't we just vote on this? And, that, and everyone agreed to do that. And we agreed, but that was because we believed the vote was real. If we ever get to a point where society no longer believes the vote is real, they'll probably revert back to the old system because at least that'll be real. And uh, that's not a step forward. Nobody wants that for their children where we battle out these things uh, you know, with, uh, with arms. I think we really ought to want to do it at the ballot box. And then when, if we don't win – have confidence that we didn't, but then be disappointed and redouble our efforts and try to win next time. Well, I understand because here's the thing that comes to play is that, you know, again, I, I'm not going to make the statement, did, you know, Joe Biden really win the election or did Donald Trump? I, you know, I'll just simply say there's enough questions about the election process. They can no longer be adored. Uh, most, I mean, you basically have had two state Supreme right. Courts after the fact, not before the fact. Before the fact, they just left it be. After the fact, they acknowledged, hey, the laws were broken. <laughs> hey, yeah, we broke, yeah, the laws were broken as, you know, on what kind of votes, both in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. But that kind of leaves you up in the lurch and saying, oh, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, that Biden would have lost those states, but it does mean there were some questionable things that occurred that you have to put up too, many, too much doubt into that. And, uh, right. and I think that's the damaging part, because if I'm going to lose an election, and I've done that once myself when my name was on the ballot, I want to know I actually lost. I don't want to have in this nagging belief in the back of my mind that I was cheated out of it. And the only way we can do that is by having a system that actually works. And I didn't like losing, but I could accept it because I felt like it was real. And yes. And I think that that's what we have to get back to because there's a time and a place in America where that was the way it worked. And it seems that now um, – and I do get a big kick out of the left telling us that we have to accept the results of elections because they've not accepted a single election since the year 2000 that they lost. When, yeah. when George Bush beat Al Gore, that they've, to this day, you will hear them talk about how that was stolen from them. And then when he beat John Kerry, that was stolen from them. And, you yeah. know, and it's only when they win they accept the results. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, how about Ms. Yeah, Clinton? Ms. Clinton well, still hasn't admitted she lost. Yeah. I mean, that's it to me is always an interesting aspect because here's the thing. Yeah, I can remember in the case of Ohio because that was the state that was crucial in 2004. Right. And, he, yeah. you know, he, was, was you know, he lost the state by 110,000 votes. Yeah. Kerry had. Yeah, yeah, Kerry did, and I can remember two or three years ago, I think it was 17 or 2018 or 2019, he was asked a question, and he still kind of said, eh. instead of saying, hey, I lost the election, he said, well, there's some, you know, I still am not certain that I lost the state of Ohio. Right. And I'm thinking, you lost 110,000 votes, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, well, and Hillary know, Clinton has said a couple times that, she, quote, she could beat Donald Trump again. It's like, really? Well, that, again, means you've done it once before. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. How about accepting the results of elections? So I don't think – I think that we, A, do need to accept the results of elections, but we need to have a system that makes that kind of inescapable. When you have a system that we currently yeah. have that isn't very reliable, um, 
we are headed towards trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Because here's the thing, you know, how many Democrats still believe the Russian collusion hoax and that Putin put Trump in jail? They put Trump in the White House. The answer yeah. is more than there should be at this stage yeah, of the game. Yeah, I mean, that number should, the number of people who believe in that should be less than the number of people who believe in the tooth fairy. Yeah. So, but that's, yeah, and, and I always get a kick about Stacey Abrams because she's probably thinking she's running for reelection in Georgia. Yeah, no, she does. She's, yeah, she's yeah. also one of those people who will not admit. She actually sat on a, at the, at the DNC in, uh, in 2020 on a uh, panel discussion for where she was, it was entitled governors, a conversation with the governors and she was introduced and, and held herself out as the governor of Georgia, even though she'd lost three years before or two years before. Well, here's the interesting thing. She lost by 50,000 votes. Yep. I mean, it was a small margin based on the number of votes, but that's five times more than what Trump lost Georgia. Yeah, five times. Five times. So if yeah. it's reasonable for Abrams, isn't you know, isn't just as reasonable for Trump to sit back and say, you know, what happened in Georgia? And right. again, you know, John Fun. I don't know if John Fun brought this up in his panel, but certainly in his book, he does detail some of the issues dealing with Georgia, including the fact that there are like twelve thousand votes that may or may not should not have been counted. I mean, he kind of goes through right. all of this. Uh, right. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty sophisticated statistical analysis that both he and Hans von Spakovsky uh, go through, and it's pretty unassailable. I mean, it's not a matter of opinion. It's they just deal in hard facts, hard numbers. Yeah, and so and so I mean, this is I mean, I, I say it's an interesting aspect that comes into play here. That again, and I just think it's an interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks. Now, I guess the other aspect that comes in play, I'm there. So, first of all, what was your talk about? What did you talk about? I talked about sh- shipping, national security, and how China figures into both of those topics. Because uh, shipping is not, uh, I think sometimes we don't appreciate kind of how critical it is both to our military, the ability to supply our military, and quite frankly, to maintaining a first world economy. Mm-hmm. I have. So that's, I, yeah. So what were some of the things you told the audience? Well, one of the things I told them was it's it's popular now, uh, at least in some circles, to kind of detract or poo-poo the uh, Merchant Marine Act of 1920, which was uh, uh, passed after uh, – the First World War, because we were perceived as not being as prepared as we needed to be, we wanted to make sure that we had a viable merchant marine and a viable shipbuilding industry. And so we decided that uh, that law made it so that um, when you ship goods from one U.S. port to another U.S. port on U.S. waterways, that they, they need to be done by um, U.S. crews and U.S. ships. And, and, uh, that doesn't prevent, uh, you know, a, a ship from England or Denmark or France or China from coming to America. But what they can't do is sail to Mississippi and make five stops. And um, I pointed out, A, that's rooted in our founding. The very first such law that was like that one, the precursor to it, was passed by, the four, by our first Congress. It was the fourth thing they did. 
the very the fourth bill they passed was that one. And then um, I point out that Adam Smith, the uh, seminal free market uh, kind of credit as being the father of free market economics and in the wealth of nations strongly supported Great Britain's version of the Jones Act with uh, the British, you know, and, and he did it for the same reasons, the British Navigation Act. And he said it was needed for the defense of Britain because it depends upon the sailors that they have and the, and the ships that they have. Um, but so I kind of went through and tried to explain the issues here and why it matters and pointed out that the, the military is very clearly in, in, in favor of it and in need of it because they, um, they need that sea lift capability uh, when they need it. And the advantage, of course, it gives us saves us a lot of money because they don't need it every day. So it's a little bit like they can rent they can rent a fleet, but they don't have to own the fleet. And if we had to own the fleet, it would cost us somewhere around seventy five billion dollars uh, to build such a fleet. And then you'd have to maintain it. Whereas we don't do that. The, the, these uh, Jones Act ships are out every day, just making a living, doing the things that they do. And then when the military needs them, it's like they're in the it's almost like they're in the reserve. They just call them up. Wait, and then on, they have yeah. to pay. Then they pay for it. Now hold on to that thought because I do want to follow up with uh, with that. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. You can listen to the show every day at uh, 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at bachelornews.airtime.pro. Required listening with Amazon Music. Dad Music again. The greatest guitarist of all time. Wait, who? Alexa, add this song to a new playlist. Sure, what's the new playlist name? Jack's Intro to Classic Rock. Adding Stepping Stone by Jimi Hendrix to Jack's Intro to Classic Rock playlist. Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you and soon he will love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, welcome, ladies and Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Block Talk Radio. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. Listen to the show every day at 11 a.m., 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. You can also buy my book, America the Abyss, Will America Survive? Um, and you can buy that at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and you can also buy it at LibertyHillPublishingPress.com. Uh, back here with uh, uh, George Landreth, the president of Frontier Freedom, and you can don't and you can donate money to the Frontier, which both uh, George and I work with. Uh, ff.org. And George, remind people about that red button and where it is. Upper right hand corner, and uh, just like you said, ff.org. If you look up the upper right hand corner, it's a secure link and uh, it'll protect all your information and make sure that uh, it's encrypted all the way through all right sounds good all right um well, let's go back to the jones here's the question i'm going to say you're at a libertarian event yeah did you get any pushback from some of the libert- more libertarians saying that you know we don't need this and this is like adding to the expense of shipping um, I occasionally I've gotten that, but to be honest, um, I think what's happening is uh, things like the pandemic showed us otherwise what's going on. Um, you know, one, you can look at uh, Napoleon's historic defeat uh, in Russia. Uh, it wasn't because of shipping, but it was because of supply lines. So it wasn't, uh, you know, 
waterborne ships, but the fact that as his army got further and further from France, they first were winning everything easily, just mopping the floor, and then later they began to lose as they couldn't supply their army. I think it shows, so he left, he left Paris with an army, the greatest army that had ever been accumulated at that time of over 700,000 troops. When he got back after the disastrous defeats that they suffered once their supply lines were destroyed, um, he had 27,000 troops that were capable of fighting. The rest were sick, missing, captured, or killed. And uh, so pretty amazing, uh, you know, and that changed things around a lot. So, and also you look at what China's been doing. They're, they're trying to win a war against America, and they are setting about to use a lot of different methodologies doing it. They're, of course, building a blue water navy that's now bigger than our own, but they're also producing over 1,200 merchant ships a year, whereas we produce eight, and they're buying up all sorts of ports and other things, creating a stranglehold. And I was looking at a map, and I showed folks a map of you know, their China's Belt and Road Initiative and the participating countries, and what it really looks like is it's kind of like the rest of the world uh, is involved. Uh, there's a few countries in Europe, uh, a, a couple in South America, but basically they're slowly trying to take over the world, and they're doing that so they can strangle us. They want to do to us what the Russians did to Napoleon's army. They want to be able to beat us without, uh, you know, even having to fire a fight just because we can't. And then also on top of that, I would argue there's the kind of what I call the homeland security element, which is we have a 1,900-mile southern border. We have 25,000 miles of inland waterways. If you make all of those a front line, a border, then you actually have 50,000 miles of border there because there's a border on both sides of every river. And that makes the job of protecting your border and your homeland security and keeping out the bad guys much, much harder. And, um, and we actually, many of our experts talk about how yeah. the Jones Act is used to help us avoid this problem. And even some academics like at uh, Texas A&M point out, quote, if we totally lifted the Jones Act, any foreign flag ship with an entirely unknown crew could go, and, I'll, and I would add unknown cargo, could go anywhere in our waterways, including up the Mississippi River. And uh, so I think, you know, that that's a dangerous proposition and, and it helps us to alleviate that problem. So that's part of the advantage, I would argue, um, that the Jones Act provides. I do know they say it increases costs, but the, the fact is that's not really a very good argument. And I, the reason I would say that is because, one, a GO, GAO a report, it looked at this exhaustively and could come to no conclusions about the costs um, because what they noticed was if there was a difference between what it cost to, to ship something in the United States versus outside the United States, it tended to do with other laws, not that one. In other words, we have labor standards, we have wage standards, we have safety standards, and those up the prices of, of shipping. And if somebody is going to ship in our country, they're going to have to follow our rules. Uh, yeah. You know, if Toyota has to, when they when Toyota builds uh, cars in Kentucky, they have to follow Kentucky law and U.S. law. They don't get to put a fence around it and say this is a Japanese com com company, so we're only going to follow the Japanese law. Um, on top of that, 
I did a study, uh, my own. Mine was a little simpler than the GAO's. It didn't take years to finish and didn't involve a you know, team of 20 uh, economists. But I compared the cost of goods in places where the Jones Act would be an impact, things particularly like um, San Juan in uh, Puerto Rico, but also other port cities. And then I, um, and I made my shopping list, and then I went online and checked to see what the costs were. It was a pretty exhaustive shopping list. And uh, what I found was there was no price difference at all from whether it was Jacksonville, whether it was, you know, because Jacksonville has lots of different ways to get things. But, uh, you know, you're always we're always told that Puerto Rico suffers because of the Jones Act. And that's not actually true. In fact, one of the things that was funny was after one of the uh, after one of the hurricanes that came through, uh, Geraldo was standing there talking about, and he could see off in the distance, supposedly all these uh, ships that were waiting to come with all kinds of aid and help for the, um, for the Puerto Ricans and to help them get back on their feet. And he claimed that they were all there waiting for the president to waive the Jones Act requirements and that what a shame that was. Well, it turns out that every one of those ships was a Jones Act ship that had been prepositioned and had been hiding kind of behind another neighboring island to avoid the hurricane. And as soon as the hurricane passed, it was waiting to come in, but couldn't because the cranes had been damaged. And so there's no way to unload the ships. And they needed also to make sure the harbor didn't have any obstructions in it. And so they were simply waiting for the harbor to open up so they could come in. And that's the sort of kind of you know, malfeasance that goes on in reporting that shows that makes people think, oh, the Jones Act is hurting people. When in fact, these Jones Act ships, which were contracted with various aid agencies of the government, were loaded up in advance and prepositioned so that they were literally just around the corner. The problem was the cranes were down and there were other problems in the port. And that's yeah. not really the Jones Act fault. <laughs> Yeah, so basically the hurricane did enough damage of the port to you know, keep them waiting for a day or two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they and when I and I came uh, one time uh, like six to eight months later, and there was so much stuff that the parking lot was basically overrun with supplies that had been deposited there by these Jones Act ships that the government there in. Puerto Rico had been unable to distribute properly. And I don't know if that was a good excuse or not for them, meaning I, I don't know if the roads are that damaged or what. All I know is there was no lack of providing help. In fact, it looked to me like maybe too much help was provided, not too little, because the, 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 the area that used to be a parking lot outside the, uh, you know, there's certain areas where they store stuff and they have you know areas that are designed to hold cargo but they actually had so much they couldn't all fit there so they were using parts of the normal yeah. employee parking lot hey so how long how many times have you spoken at this event um probably four or five at least i'm i'm trying to remember i may have lost count i in the back of my mind i'm thinking i've been to seven or eight of these uh in the last 10 years I, I may have missed one or two, but but pretty much I've been there whenever they've had it. Mm-hmm. And how did you get invited? I mean, how did you have a relationship um, with Mark, or was it just simply uh, 
somebody said, yeah, invite this guy. Um, I, well, I, I now do have a, a relationship with Mark. He's a good guy. He's a smart economist, and he's very committed to liberty. So he's not a bad friend to have. But I have um, – but initially I did not know him. I've come to know him. So somebody obviously put in a good word for me, uh, Frontiers of Freedom, the work we do. I think maybe the name of our organization might have been of some interest to him because he is very singularly focused on the idea that we ought to be doing more to provide freedom and opportunity as opposed to more government solutions. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's what I, you know, I, I thought it was some, you know, like I said, there was some, I wanted to kind of bring it just to kind of talk about it because I thought this was kind of, you had some very fascinating different people, you know, doing this. Yeah. So, no, I would agree with you. It, it was a very, if you look at the guest list, I think you might have a hard time figuring out what brought them all together because they're not all obvious. You know, I think you're right about that. It's, it's, it's an eclectic group. Yeah. And so and part of that's because Mark believes in free speech. So he's not there trying to say, um, cause you know, like you said, a lot of libertarians may not agree with the Jones act, but he doesn't mind me talking about the Jones act or other topics. You know, the, the fact is, is he's very committed to free speech, not just free speech. He agrees with. Mm-hmm. Well, I said because I'm going through this whole list. But tell me, did you get a chance to see any of the films? Because it sounds like they have a whole ton of films there. They do. They, it's a it's a major part of the uh, event, and um, I did not get to go in and see any of the films because I was, as I said, I was at a kind of a family reunion out west before, so I missed the first little bit of it, uh, the first half of the convention. And once I got there. I was kind of behind the eight ball, so as a result, I couldn't catch him. But they have a lot of good films, and um, it's very interesting. I mean, it's it's almost like the uh, what is it, Sundance Film Festival? It's kind of like the conservative slash libertarian film festival. It's really very. Uh, I think it's called the yeah. Anthem Film Festival, and it's uh, it's a pretty serious thing. I mean, for example. Uh, you know, they showed Created Equal there, which I have seen. I didn't see it there, but, uh, you know. Um, Is that the uh, one there, with uh, Clarence Thomas? With Clarence, yeah, that's the, the one on Clarence Thomas. Uh, there was, you know, one on CNN exposing them as a kind of a questionable news source. There was a lot of different ones. Um, one was uh, a, a, a a kind of a historic movie on uh, – Frederick Douglass, I mean, all kinds of different sorts of things that um, I think are, you know, would be interesting to folks. Some of them are documentaries and some of them are traditional movies, but, but, but you're right. It was a very, I mean, I think they had like uh, close to two dozen movies, maybe even more. Yeah. They had one called Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I saw, noticed that. I saw this one too. This was down to Dr. Larry's, uh, uh, Ali grid down, power up, dealing with our weaknesses of our grid, which he's discussed yeah. on the show numerous times. So, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop right there because we got about uh, five seconds left. So I want to, again, you know, Frontier Freedom, ff.org. Uh, George Landry is president, a great organization. And I'm going to say thank you, George, for being on the show and from the Donaldson. Good night.